Life can always use more Cedar Point. And right now, you can get more Cedar Point for less with the Fun Day Bundle. Each bundle saves you more than 35% on admission, parking, and dining for one low price. That means more coasters like Steel Vengeance and Millennium Force, and even more excitement with the Cedar Point Parade and Spectacular. But you better hurry because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. Excited for a road trip? Start it off right with auto coverage from American Family Insurance. J.D. Power ranked us number one in customer satisfaction with the auto insurance shopping experience among mid-size insurers. Get a quote at amfam.com. American Family Insurance. For J.D. Power 2021 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. The X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio Show or endorsed in any manner by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, the Exxon Broadcast Network, its affiliated networks, stations, employees, or advertisers. All hit Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. And welcome back to the X-Zone, everyone. I am Rob McConnell. We're coming to you from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, and around the world on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, our broadcast affiliates, and program satellite programming providers. Once again, if you'd like to send an email, studio at xzoneradiotv.com on all social media sites, TV, And you can find out what we've been doing, what we are doing, and what we intend to do at www exxoneradiotv.com. Rich Hoffman is my special guest this hour, and Rich is the Alabama-Mississippi State Director for MUFON and the Director for Strategic Projects at the international level. Also with supports the Science Review Board as a case reviewer. Now, Rich has investigated and reviewed thousands of UFO sightings, which include landings, radar, animal mutilations, and other paranormal mysteries in his tenure. He has delivered hundreds of lectures to service clubs, churches, and many other organizations, and appeared on numerous radio and television shows, uh, including the Donahue Show, Unexplained Files, and many more. He's also helped produce UFO Files episode Hangar 18, the UFO warehouse for the, U- for the History Channel, and appeared in numerous books on the subject. For more information on Rich or MUFON, visit their website at www.mufonal.org. And Rich, welcome to the X-Zone. Hi, glad to be on. Hey Rich, um, tell me, what got you interested in UFOs? Uh, Well, it's kind of an interesting story. It was like uh, back in eighth grade, I was in a science class. I was Mm -hmm. late for the class. Uh, Instructor had told a scientist to do a 10-minute presentation. And... uh, I signed up on the list. Uh, the only thing that nobody put their name next to, and it turned out to be UFOs. Um, and then I half-heartedly uh, interested in them. I went up to the teacher. I said, well, what's a UFO? He said, well, you ever heard of flying saucers? They're unidentified flying objects. I yep. said, well, I've got n- no, no clue. He said, well, go do your homework and then you know, <laughs> come back and deliver a 10-minute presentation. Well, I uh, 
kind of went to the, I think I, I got a book out called My Trip to Venus. <laughs> uh, I, I think I got a, another, I got a set of encyclopedias out and looked at mm -hmm. uh, just a little bit there. Didn't do much with it. Didn't really read it much. So to, to uh, put it in a nutshell, not, you didn't do your homework. I didn't do my homework. <laughs> uh, yeah. And so, so consequently, when I stood up in front of the class, uh -huh. uh, I really basically bombed it. And, uh, and the teacher then started was, you know, was asking questions like, you know, well, what about jet pursuits? What about this? What about that? I'm going like, wow, what, what did you read? <laughs> exactly. Uh, so I got my D on that report that day and went home that evening. And uh, basically, I, it was uh, just at, around the April 24th, 1964 time. And mm -hmm. uh, I was watching Walter Cronkite come on the evening news, CBS Evening News, and he was talking about a case that happened in Socorro, New Mexico. And when I heard that, and I was talking, I mean, that, that was basically like talking about a, a landing where there was actually some, you know, indications on the soil. The, uh, there was like some shrubs that were burned. Right. And then and I, I said, wow, that was really interesting. And that was that, that caught my attention. And then uh, and the fact that it was a police officer, uh, I thought, wow, this is really interesting. So I. I a couple days later, my aunt took me over to a bookstore, and it was in the city of Dayton, uh, Ohio. Uh, and bottom line is, I found my first book, which was the uh, I bought my first book, which was the Report on Unidentified Flying Objects by uh, Captain Edward Ruppelt, who was the former head of Project Blue Book. And then I uh, kind of like dove into the book. I was really reading it. I'm reading about these jet pursuits that my teacher was talking about. I'm reading about military cases. I'm reading about. And it turns out that it was uh, just up the road where Project Blue Book was located. And uh, that just gave me like a new awareness and a new interest, the fact that it was just right here. And so I started to really dive in and uh, to really get as much as I could. I got as many books out. I was reading furiously. I was clipping out every newspaper article I could find. <laughs> Uh, and just really now I'm doing my homework, <laughs> by the way, Rob. Uh, so after the fact, now I'm really doing the, uh, this investigation kind of like work into learning more about it. Uh, I was asked to do a presentation in the downtown Dayton area at a museum of natural history. All right. Why don't we do this? Why don't we uh, have a little yeah. bit of a cliffhanger here? Exonation Rich Hoffman is our special guest. And if you'd like to get more information on Rich or the Mutual UFO Network in Alabama, www.mufonal.org. This is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell. And we come to you Monday through Friday from 11 p.m. Eastern until 2 a.m. Eastern on the Exxon Broadcast Network and our fine family of broadcast affiliates and satellite programming providers. Don't go away. More about UFOs on the other side of this break. Gibbs A. Williams, Ph.D., is a practicing psychoanalyst, supervisor, researcher, and author in New York City. Much of his life has been dedicated to understanding nature and the uses of meaningful coincidences or synchronicities. His radical and original non-Jungian, non-mystical, non-magical theory of synchronicities illuminates much of the fog surrounding this challenging and perplexing topic. His ideas and manners are fresh, presented in a style that is both entertaining and highly informative. He is also an expert on crisis intervention, specially focused on violence reduction for the police and citizens, mastering anxiety, frustration, and stress without the use of medication, and effectively preventing and treating heroin addiction. Dr. Williams can be contacted at his email address at gwwilliamsny11 at aol.com or visit his website at www.drgibbswilliams.com. Shamanism is recognized as a method to access the quantum level. Mastery of shamanic skills puts spiritual information and healing power into your hands. Path Home Shamanic Art School, a bonded Colorado certified occupational school, has met rigorous state standards ensuring its director and instructors have the qualifications to teach the shamanic arts. Path Home offers a certification program in blocks of study. Block 1, a five-day intensive, will be held in the beautiful mountain town of Coldale, Colorado, October 13th through 18th. Registration deadline is September 12th. 
Experience Journey Trance, Power Animals, Helping Spirits, Sacred Space, and Life Purpose. Come discover your power. Join me, Gwilda Wiyaka, in the magical world of shamanism. Call 303-775-3431 or visit findyourpathhome.com. This is Kevin Randall. For nearly 30 years, I have been investigating the case of the Roswell UFO. I have interviewed hundreds of people and stood on the crash site. Now in Roswell in the 21st century, I have reviewed dozens of hours of audio and videotaped interviews, examined hundreds of files that relate to the crash, and have returned to Roswell in an attempt to put all that information into the proper perspective. For the first time in Roswell in the 21st century, I have made a dispassionate reevaluation of all that material and provide a new look at what happened. This is a book that clears away all the clutter that has hidden the truth for so long, strips away the various lies that surround the case, exposes the Air Force attempts at cover-up, and found a core of solid information that tells us all where the case stands today. Roswell in the 21st Century will be available in just a few weeks. For more information, please visit my website at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. Nation, we're talking about UFOs this hour with Rich Hoffman. And uh, Rich is the um, Alabama-Mississippi State Director for MUFON and Director for Strategic Projects at the international level. Also with supports uh, the Science Review Board as a case reviewer. Uh, Rich, have you had your, had your own UFO experience? Um, I've not seen a UFO. I've, I mean, it's amazing to me that here I am. I'm, I've been in it for so long, yeah. 52 years, and I, I constantly am looking up. I, I don't see, I see objects that I tend to, uh, I'm able to pretty much explain. Um, and so it frustrates me because I'm always like looking out windows and in aircraft and <laughs> trying to see whether I see anything. And I don't, I don't see anything. Uh, but my experience comes vicariously through others. Right. Uh, you know, and so after you've done these investigations and you've been out to like um, a case like I had where I in 73 where there was a landing incident that took place and we're able to go and look at a, a wheat field that's basically missing its 70 foot in diameter circular area where the ground was baked two feet in the ground and there's no roots in the middle. And as you progressively move out in any direction toward the 70 foot I mean, the 35-foot, anyway, uh, distance from the middle, you you then start seeing a little bit of stubble, and then you see a rotational pattern of the wheat, and then you see puffed wheat around the perimeter. Hmm. Uh, and when, you, when you've when you done that kind of investigation, it's, it, it kind of gives you, like, you know, you're standing in the middle of that, and you're saying, well, what could have done this, you know? And there's no tracks kind of coming in, and, and, it, and there were, like, UFO reports the night before in the area. You, you just have one of those like aha moments. And right. so I, that, that was an aha moment along with many others that I had as consequently after that. Are UFO sightings up this year or down? Um, a lot of people tend to think, you, know, you hear a lot of people say, oh, well, sightings are up. Mm-hmm. They're, they're really not up. Uh, they're, uh, and let me, let me qualify it. Sure. There's a, there's a difference between reports and UFOs. I mean, the after you analyze them, okay? So what I'm going to tell you is that reports seemingly will go up and down. But when you after you investigate them, if you look at the number of unknowns mm-hmm. that you actually get out of that, meaning that there's so many misidentifications that by the time you get down to the ones that are actually unexplainable and you truly look at what UFOs are about, you find out that UFO cases are pretty much uh, even or maybe even going down a little bit. With all the modern technology available to everyone, you know, they have a high-definition snap camera as well as a video camera in their iPhones, dashboard cameras, closed-circuit TVs, and so on. Have you seen the smoking gun photo that would convince everyone that UFOs, and I'm talking about the ones from other planets, are actually here? I would have to say that the answer is no. And, I, and let me qualify it by saying mm-hmm. this. We can't rely on photographic evidence alone. Uh, we have to account for the fact that photographs uh, 
are typically not going to get you very far at all. I mean, you, you could probably pretty much see that. Uh, you, you, you interviewed Tom Carey not long sure. ago, and yeah. you saw the consequence of just trying to interpret uh, two slides, right? Yeah. Uh, and and there's, there's pitfalls with any kind of thing like that. Um, it's what we run across is where you have multi-sensory kind of data that helps to support that case. Um, and so when you have like, for example, an object that's uh, now seen on a, uh, a tracking system uh, uh, and it fires and shoots at a Minuteman missile <laughs> and you've you captured this on a, a you know, kind of like a, a high uh, military grade uh, camera and tracking system that's going to be pretty doggone conclusive. However, the problem is that that's that that tip, that evidence was collected by the CIA and you don't see it. Or well, if you look at the uh, JAL incident that right. happened up in Alaska, then you have a situation where on that flight, the radar data, what did they have? The FAA was trying to have a meeting. The CIA was at it and they confiscated and called it classified and took away that data. But why would the CIA be involved? They have no jurisdiction on the... Uh, within the United States, their jurisdiction is outside. How come the National Security Agency doesn't uh, take care of this? The the interesting thing, well, and it's a good point. National Security Agency is just listening to monitoring of of, of data and mm -hmm. information and things like that. But the CIA, if you look back on the history, has always played a major role. I mean, if you go back to the 1953 Robertson Panel Report. The CIA was at the meeting. The CIA was the one that pretty much controlled it. The CIA was the one that said, well, we need to debunk uh, all the excitement about UFOs. And they actually formulated the strategy that would be develop, uh, developed and, and handled as we went along. Plus, if you take a look at it, you find out like, you know, if you wonder like why this whole thing has been discredited mm -hmm. by a lot of people. The CIA provided a lot of manipulation and control over media. In fact, if you look at the tabloids uh, and all those things that were on our checkout stands where you'd see Hillary Clinton holding an alien baby or, you know, uh, well, that's whatever. that you see I mean, that that baby was her and Trump's love child. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, that's that's very true. Uh, that, yeah. I mean, that explains it. Uh, but, you know, there's there's a situation there where, I mean, if you looked at the, the, the guy who was in charge of it, mm -hmm. you track him. He was he was directly in the CIA, I mean, connected to the CIA. So propaganda and dispelling that kind of information. If you look at uh, Area 51 and, and the whole development of that, that was a CIA surveillance based operation initially. And so so you have. The CIA playing heavily within even just the United States alone. Um, why would the C? Is it possible then, based on what you just said about the involvement of the CIA, is it possible that the CIA yeah. were actually the men in black? Yes, it is possible. Uh, in fact, it's more than likely uh, that that's that's the people who were mm. who were doing that. You have to also look at and follow the threads for uh, the Battelle Memorial Institute. Uh, Battelle Memorial Institute was a consultant to uh, Project Blue Book for the longest period of time. Uh, it's located out of Columbus. It's a privately held company that, that gets in and does a lot of work with the, uh, the government. It's always been connected mm -hmm. to the UFO history, if you would. Uh, and so there are some people that believe that possibly some of them also were probably on a defense contract to get information and did that. And then you also have a case like I had over in Mississippi, for example, where uh, a, a basically a, a former sheriff of a small town in northern uh, Mississippi happens to see one evening a, a small object, like an orb, they, they described it like an orb, uh, followed by a triangle, followed by what looked like a military helicopter, and they're all flying around the skies. And he's mm -hmm. like, you know, what's going on? And he observes that, and he goes uh, later on over in near, and he's hearing voices coming out from uh, his next uh, property that's adjacent to him, which is mostly trees and public land and not privately held. He goes in the woods and finds that there's five uh, men that are dressed in black camo, kind of uniforms and one of them has got a device that's you know uh around his neck that and he's got like a panel in front of him and he's he's doing some sort of controls on it and uh 
they threatened him to get out of the woods, you know, go away, you know, and don't say you didn't see it. I mean, you didn't see us. Don't say anything. Well, uh, he decided that he was going to go ahead and, and to report it to, to move on. I assigned an investigator from South Mississippi. They started having conversations back and forth, uh, and it looked very promising. We were going to get some good information about that. Um, and then suddenly the ten the tenor changed, and he started talking like I we can't I can't talk about this anymore. I can't do this. And bottom line, what he revealed to us was that he said uh, I had a knock at my door. Uh, some guy wearing like a a dark suit with a white shirt and a tie type thing comes in, and he and he's now telling me I thought we told you to shut up and not say anything. And he's holding up emails that I had had with the MUFON investigator. And this is according to the sheriff? Well, yeah, the, the sheriff had indicated the fact that somebody was now threatening him at the mm. door and telling him and holding up their email conversations. At which point then he's pretty much upset and he's just broken off the communication and then we couldn't get any more on the case. Based on your experience and uh, the fact that you're the Alabama-Mississippi State Director for MUFON, in your opinion, what is the most compelling case to date that UFOs, number one, are real, and number two, they have actually landed? Uh, well, I mean, compelling to me would be, the, the, of course, that they landed would be the one case I just told you about right. because I, I couldn't identify or I couldn't explain that. I've had a lot of compelling cases over the years where, you know, a good example in Mississippi in 2013, I had a case where, you know, a, just a, a pilot was out flying in the mm -hmm. uh, near Picayune uh, and he's at about, you know, 2,500 feet flying at 140 miles an hour in a small Cessna and he sees an object that basically is now under his wing and flying along with him. And it, it was a silver-shaped object, and it had, uh, you know, no fuselage or anything like that, no means of propulsion. Mm -hmm. And it's it's following along with him. And then he sees it kind of like dip back behind him, and he loses sight of it. And he flies up a little bit further, tries to come around, try to see if he can find it, and now he can't find it. Um, anyway, uh, he reported it. We looked into it. And then basically what we started to do was say, well, let's see if there's any radar data. And we, we filed a FOIA request to uh, the FAA uh, and were able to get data sets from, I think it was like six different uh, uh, radar sites. Uh, we were able to obviously pick up his plane uh, from the, the radar out of Picayune, uh, uh, where he, or not Picayune, he took off uh, south of that. Uh, but anyway, he, uh, we were able to get radar data on his aircraft movement. And at the same time, there was a radar site that was over in Alabama that happened to pick up uh, a trace of an object that was over near his position. And we could follow the object and see where it was maneuvering. And, and it was interesting because it basically got near the aircraft and then it started to, it made a complete move back. It changed from 140 miles an hour down to like just no time. It was down to 60 or 50 and then 35. And then it made a, uh, a 120 degree turn and started moving up north. So, I mean, that's a pretty good, pretty compelling case. I mean, it was yeah. the fact that we had radar data. We've got a, a very credible pilot. Um, and, and, but I've had many more than that. I could I'd probably talk for hours about many, many cases. The Aguadilla case in Puerto Rico is probably uh, a pretty interesting All right, case. let's I, talk about that case. Is. Let's talk about that case when we come back from this commercial sure. break. Thanks very much for joining us, Rich. I sincerely appreciate you coming on the show tonight. Exonation, Rich Hoffman is our guest, and he is the Alabama-Mississippi State Director for MUFON and the Director for Strategic Projects at the international level. Also, is supports... Uh, the Science Review Board as case reviewer. His website is www.mufonal.org. Speaking about UFOs, ExoNation, how would you like to be part of UFO history? I kid you not. Go to www.cubesat4disclosure.com. All the information is there. That's www.cubesat, the number four, Disclosure.com. I'm Rob McConnell. This is the Exxon. 
Rich Hoffman is my guest. We'll both be back on the other side of this break. Don't go away. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, High Tech with Corey Kay, and every minute of the 24-7, 365 programming of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 712-432-9459, courtesy of TalkStream Live. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 712-432-9459 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember, 712-432-9459 for the best of paranormal, new age, thought-provoking, sci-fi radio programming 24-7-365. Wouldn't you love to know the secret to everything? Well then, meet Dr. Kimberly McGeorge and her cutting-edge breakthrough knowledge that combines science with possibility. Dr. Kimberly brings real-life answers and healing to those open to alternative solutions. She teaches solution-based programs and classes that will change all areas of your life forever. Specializing in conscious creation, intuitive readings, and energy medicine, you can rapidly shift health, relationships, business, and money and abundance challenges quickly. Receive her best-selling book, Secret to Everything, at no cost by going to secrettoeverything.com forward slash X zone. That's right. Transformation can start now. Just go to secrettoeverything.com forward slash X zone and receive Dr. Kimberly's book for free. While science pursues fact, magic accesses the quantum level, bridging random facts to form truth. As long as science and magic remain separate and polarized, the truth cannot be known. I'm Gwilda Wiecka. Join me on the Science of Magic radio program, dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. During each episode, I'll be speaking with experienced and respected scientists and mystics. From astrologers to astronomers, from medical doctors to shaman, the scientific method to dowsing and intuition, we'll weave together information from seemingly divergent practices to promote unity and enlightenment. Join me, Gwilda Wiyaka, and the Science of Magic right here on the Mutual Broadcast Network. For more information, visit www.thescienceofmagic.net. I am Dr. Carl O'Helvey, founder, president of a new cancer foundation focusing on evidence-based physical, mental, and spiritual interventions, including natural cancer cures, prayer, meditation, affirmations, nutrition, and other related holistic cancer prevention and cure modalities. These are used in cancer education, research, and financing care. I ask for your help to continue this important work by donating at www.holisticcancerfoundation.com. Exonation Rich Hoffman is our guest this hour, www.mufonal.org. Rich, before we went to the break, you started to give us a bit of a teaser about a UFO case in Puerto Rico that you were involved with. Yeah, so it, it, in fact, it, the interesting thing about it, I just mentioned that Mississippi case. Yeah. The, the, the Mississippi case just preceded uh, this event. Really? Uh, yeah, which was really interesting, the same year. Um 
by the way, the Mississippi case became one of the top 10 cases for MUFON of 2013. Uh, the, uh, this case I'm going to talk to you about is, is a case where, you know, this is, this is interesting because it's, it's the first time that I've ever had the opportunity to actually see video footage of an unknown object, whatever that is, uh, that is taken by a government video camera. This is taken by a Customs and Border Protection aircraft that took off uh, at the Rafael Hernandez Airport, which is in the northwest corner of Puerto Rico. Uh, it was August the 25th at about nine o'clock in the evening that, uh, and then this is, this is preceding that aircraft takeoff, there were over, uh, when we got the radar data, by the way, uh, we were able to see that there were over 40 hits of an object that was move, maneuvering just off the coastline in the northwest of that little airport. Uh, and so it uh, turns out that, you know, that these 40 hits, if you started to track them, we actually deduced the speed of them. W at one point, the, the object made uh, a speed change uh, of something about over a thousand miles an hour. So it, it was making some pretty compelling moves out in that, that area. But anyway, after about 14 minutes of the radar tracks, uh, then you suddenly have about that time, the aircraft taking off from uh, the Aguadilla or the Rafael Hernandez airport on its routine mission. And so you have a flight crew of four, you have a pilot, co-pilot, you have a, a thermal imaging camera operator and a radar operator and a, what they call a de Havilland aircraft uh, dash eight. Uh, by the way, it's a de Havilland Canada. Uh, <laughs> just thought I'd mention that. Oh, there you go. Um, the dash eight aircraft. And it's, it's uh, basically now taking off. It starts to get its ascent going. The pilot looks out to the left and sees that there's an object that has a red kind of a red pinkish light to mm -hmm. it that is maneuvering uh, now toward the airport, according to his vantage point. Um, so he then goes out and he's watching this lighted object as it's coming uh, toward the, the coastline and it's now heading toward the airport. Uh, but anyway, he's, uh, he's now making a huge loop around counterclockwise in a big circle and they're just watching it basically. Uh, and it's, when they get about to the point where they've now made this big circle and they're almost at the point where they, uh, right uh, where they took off of that runway, uh, at that area, they hop, the light goes out. And when that happened, the pilot informs the, uh, the thermal imaging camera operator to turn on the camera and begin tracking it, which is what basically he did. Um, and he had it on manual, so he was actually maneuvering the camera mm -hmm. around and tracking it. Um, and then uh, they do have radar on this, but the unfortunately the radar can't track air objects. It's mainly built towards doing uh, craft in water. Uh, they, they usually deal with drug smuggling kinds of events, and so much of that aircraft is designed that way. But bottom line was that they see the uh, the this now they're they're watching. Uh, they have a display up on the on the front panel as well as in the back where the operator is, and everybody's watching as this object is what appears as though it's now maneuvering around the airport. It's heading toward the south, and then it makes a loop around the airport, and it then appears to, as they're going around in a big circle. So there's a big circle of pivoting going on. Uh, so you have... Uh, them now seeing uh, this object and in the background, it's moving pretty quick. Uh, but you actually see what appears as though the object now coming across the runway. There was a FedEx plane that was held up from taking off by the control tower. Uh, it was held up for like, I think it's 16 minutes on its departure. Um, the object then is start, now starting to make a circle and it's starting to head back out towards the uh, water, mm -hmm. and when you then see it, uh, it now it, it's getting lower to the ground and it's or lower to the water level, and you see it now going along. It's changed its direction. Now it's going towards the west along the coastline, and you see it actually go into the water uh, in a thermal image kind of a scenario, and then you actually see uh, a, an indication of it moving underneath the water. 
as well as then you see it a little after a bit of after about half a mile it pops back up out of the water and then it proceeds to darken and uh if you know about thermal imaging cameras uh you can designate the camera to be dark as hot or or cold in this case dark as hot and white is cold so it's it, that's all the shades, uh, layers of gray that you see in a thermal image. And this is at nine o'clock at night, so there's no light. You know, I mean, it's, it's, you're basically looking at, at something, but it appears when you look at the video it, like it's daylight, you know. Anyway, you see the object now pop up, it gets dark, and it proceeds to split into two identically sized uh, objects, except that there are like ones that's moving away uh, uh, from the other one, and then eventually it kind of disappears. You don't see it anymore. And then you uh, also see then the first one that was there, kind of like eventually it slows down and it goes in. Well, when you see this video, we formed a team uh, of, of a variety of scientists and we spent over two years analyzing the, the video. We broke it into uh, over 7,000 frames uh, and basically analyzed frame by frame uh, one of the people on board is a physicist, and so we had a physicist, a mathematician, a chemist, and uh, a number of other people that were engaged. And so we we all had mm -hmm. to do the same, similar to the Roswell slide kind of thing, where we all signed non-disclosures because the the person that we had that was talking with us that provided us the video said, you know, look, our jobs are in jeopardy, uh, and we, <laughs> we, we are not wanting to have any ramifications from this, but we want it to be truly analyzed scientifically. And uh, so we agreed and we all signed non-disclosures and we pretty much kept it quiet for over two years. And, um, and then uh, little by little, I mean, we started to see this video pop up elsewhere. It turned out that what happened was some of the flight operators got a copy of it or something like that and passed it to somebody else. And the next thing you know, it ended up on YouTube. Um, but anyway, bottom line was that we, we saw, um, this incredible video. We've put a 162 page paper together. That's 47 pages of actual paper. And then there's a whole bunch of appendices and we've got the radar data, like I said, and we put all that up on a web website that we have called, uh, uh, explore scu.org. Uh, and SCU means the scientific coalition for ufology. We just created a team name, if you would. Um, and so uh, hope that your uh, listeners can go and check that out. Sure. Listen, uh, let me ask you a question. Uh, did the pilot at any time of the Homeland Security flight that was involved in this chase, did he request military backup? Uh, no. Why not? Um, they they uh, did not request any kind of military backup, uh, at least from what we know from talking with them. Um, they considered themselves, I mean, first off, when they saw that the light went out, mm -hmm. they believed that this was a drug smuggling aircraft. Right. Okay. And they, and that's what their mission is. Okay. But if, so but if they, okay. if they, um, saw the strange action of this craft and they were having problems with identification, wouldn't it be normal standard operating procedures to notify the air force? and have the Air Force intervene in this? Well, see, you, what you have to understand is the what they saw was an object that they thought was an aircraft at first, mm -hmm. so they, that's what they believed it was. It wasn't until the end of that, when the object went in water and did its split, mm -hmm. that they recognized that this is something a bit odd. Did they then contact the military? No. Why not? Doesn't that and seem I, strange? I, yeah, I, I don't know why they didn't. Um, but... I believe at that point when they saw that they went into mm -hmm. the water and it was, it was like gone. You can actually watch them video right. panning back and forth and trying to look for it. Mm -hmm. uh, what would the air force do? I mean, they would, they would basically not be able to see anything because it was already underwater. Well, so, when it came, there, when it came ahead. up out of water and it, it appeared that it split, did they notify the coast guard and ask for a recon or, or a ship to go to that area to do an investigation? Uh, not that I'm aware of. They what? had to proceed. What they had did, they did, they delayed their mission and they proceeded on with their mission mm -hmm. after they had had gone through this, right? 
So they proceeded on with their mission, which was to do whatever they did with their drug smuggling thing. Uh-huh. It wasn't until they got back that they uh, they basically uh, started to take a look really at what the video implied, what it was. And at that point, they did check to see where should we take this video? What, what should we do with it? You know, uh, who should we report this to? And they attempted to go to the Air Force. Mm-hmm. And Air Force Intelligence basically told them that they're not in the business of UFOs anymore and to take it to uh, just a regular private or a public organization. That doesn't make sense. And and neither does the fact that when we actually put a FOIA request into even the Custom and Border Protection, Mm -hmm. uh, that basically what we got was that, you know, they did nothing to acknowledge that the object was there. They did acknowledge that it was their video. Right. And what the way they looked at it was that they were a little bit upset by the fact that we're showing uh, our tactics to the world. What do you mean? Well, the tactics that they, they deploy. Oh, words, Homeland Security's tactics. Tactics, yeah. yeah. In other words, we're showing the screen uh, to the world and, and what we do when we see a drug smuggling aircraft. Well, don't you think that was a little tacky on the on your behalf of with me if I'm, you know, spilling the beans to the drug runners? Uh, well, we didn't do it with MUFON. We, we, this was disconnected from MUFON. All right, so don't you think it was a little tacky doing it from whatever organization that was showing that this is the technology that the U.S. government is using in Homeland Security to, to run drug interdiction? No. Because basically what you had there was the fact that the video had already been released on the Internet. We didn't we didn't acknowledge or report ours until uh, much later. Um, we found like that somebody else had already put it up on the Internet. So it was already out in the public domain. So what does the rest of the public think of the uh, video? Does everyone who see it believe it's a UFO? Well, first off, we didn't even choose to use the word UFO. We, we unidentified flying object is not what this is. Okay, what we, is it? We, call, we called it uh, uh, unidentified anomalous phenomena because we really don't know. I mean, one minute it's flying, I the see. next minute it's, it's swimming. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so, I mean, what is this phenomenon that you have that's up there and what's making it? And we can't, you know, basically come to any conclusion on that. But the bottom line was for us was that this was just a... A uh, very unusual video. Mm-hmm. Uh, we focused on the video, then we focused on you know the radar. We got the radar information, and that's where we took it. All right, Rich, stand by. You and I have to take our final break for this hour. Exxon Nation. Yeah. Rich Hoffman is our special guest, and uh, we'll be back talking about UFOs on the other side of this break. If you've got any questions that you'd like to ask Rich, visit his website, www.mufonal.org. This is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell. Don't go away. As host of Dialogue with Divinity, I am thrilled to join the Exxon Broadcast Network and their growing number of affiliates. My quest for a connection to the divine ignited my successful career path as an international spiritual counselor for over 40 years, an author of four books, and well-known metaphysical educator. My clients call me their spiritual mama. So my job is to offer you a radio show to help you grow spiritually with wisdom and get specific tools from guests who are experts in their field. Tune into Dialogue with Divinity and be part of the conversation with spirit. My goal, your happy soul. For more information, please visit my website at johannacarroll.com. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the Exome Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, High Tech with Corey Kay, and every minute of the 24-7, 365 programming of the Exome Broadcast Network by calling 712-432-9459, courtesy of TalkStream Live. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. 
call 712-432-9459 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember, 712-432-9459 for the best of paranormal, new age, thought-provoking, sci-fi radio programming 24-7-365. Coming soon to the Exxon Broadcast Network is a different perspective with me, Kevin Randall, as your host. We'll be taking a close look at what is happening in the world of UFOs today with side trips into the paranormal. Guests will range from those who are household names to those who have a different perspective on a variety of topics. No topic will be taboo, but there will be tough questions asked as we all search for the truth about UFOs, the paranormal, and those things that excite us. Sometimes we'll agree with a guest and sometimes we won't, but we'll try to keep the program topical. For those of you who would like to read, be sure to visit www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com and remember to listen to the other fine programs on the X-Zone Broadcast Network at www.xzbn.net. This is Kevin Randall. For nearly 30 years, I have been investigating the case of the Roswell UFO. I have interviewed hundreds of people and stood on the crash site. Now in Roswell in the 21st century, I have reviewed dozens of hours of audio and videotaped interviews, examined hundreds of files that relate to the crash, and have returned to Roswell in an attempt to put all that information into the proper perspective. For the first time in Roswell in the 21st century, I have made a dispassionate reevaluation of all that material and provide a new look at what happened. This is a book that clears away all the clutter that has hidden the truth for so long, strips away the various lies that surround the case, exposes the Air Force attempts at cover-up, and found a core of solid information that tells us all where the case stands today. Roswell in the 21st Century will be available in just a few weeks. For more information, please visit my website at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. What Happened in Benghazi is revealed by Nicholas Genix, author of Obama, Islam, and Benghazi. He informs the American people that President Obama deceived them by advocating a strong foreign policy prior to the 2012 presidential election, and Hillary Clinton supported this deception. As the title infers, there is a connection between Obama, Islam, and Benghazi. Ample evidence informs Americans that Obama's early indoctrination in the Quran developed an infinity for Islam, why the Quran is the source of discontent in many countries, and why the Obama foreign policy deception led to poor military action and caused the loss of American lives in Benghazi. Genix provides 36 questions for the Select Committee on Benghazi to validate if Americans are justified to mistrust President Obama and Hillary Clinton. An overview of Obama, Islam, and Benghazi is presented on the website www.futureofgodamen.com. That's www.futureofgodamen.com. Afterlife expert Roberta Grimes was the first one to say that dying can be fun. Now her best-selling book, The Fun of Dying, is available in stores worldwide. So if you wonder whether death ends life, how it feels to die, or what heaven might be like, The Fun of Dying was written for you. And if you have always been afraid of death, or if you worry that your life has no meaning, let The Fun of Dying ease your fears and bring new meaning to your life. Nothing said in The Fun of Dying is based on the teachings of any religion. Instead, Roberta draws on evidence to explain how death happens, how it feels, and what comes next. A lot of the best death-related evidence was produced in the first half of the 20th century. When it is put together with recent discoveries, it tells a consistent and amazing story. Roberta Grimes blogs and answers questions at robertagrimes.com. Her wonderful book, The Fun of Dying, is available on Amazon and at stores worldwide wherever books are sold. Rich Hoffman is our guest, Explanation, www.mufonal.org. Rich, you know, just taking just taking this example that we were talking about, the work that you and other people did on this uh, anomalous object, when 
using the video that has been acquired from sources who do not want to be identified because it may jeopardize their job because they're not supposed to do something. Whether it's this case or other cases that come across independent UFO desks, how come there isn't a, a bit of judgment that is used that this information may put government and homeland security in jeopardy? I think that, uh, you know, I th to me, I think that the there's nothing about this video, mm -hmm. in my estimation, and just looking at it, because well, let me let me tell you, I first off, I work for the Army. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm working in at the Redstone Arsenal here in Huntsville, Alabama. Mm -hmm. I have a security clearance. I'm mm -hmm. a defense contractor. Right. Uh, I know I know what classified information is and I know what you know. And bottom line for me is if you go up to the Westcam L3 uh, L3 is the name of the company, but their Westcam the Westcam site, you can see that same display on their website on numerous videos. So there's nothing about what you see on the display that is in any way uh, a concern. The the fact that they circled an unknown object that they couldn't figure out or whatever it was mm -hmm. that was maneuvering was was standard procedure that any logical person would do anyway. Um, there's there's nothing about what they've revealed that in any way is classified. Um, so the, what we what we're concerned about yeah. is, and what they're concerned about is like many uh, in the defense industry, including myself, is security clearance and keeping your job right. So you sign these uh, secret, I mean, these documents that say you're going to protect classified information. Well, mm -hmm. none, nothing about this was classified. All right, then why didn't the person? Or why did the person who gave you the video have you sign non-disclosure agreements? Because at that point, they don't want us to reveal their names. Have their names been revealed? No. No. Well, why not? Well, I'm not, I'm not going to reveal it. I, I'm not going to reveal it. Not until they tell me that they want it revealed. I mean, I, I honor the witness's decision. Uh, and we, by the way, if mm -hmm. you've ever, been, I mean, investigating UFOs, that's the common theme you run into. I mean, we find that most people do not want their names ever known. So, you know, the integrity that you have as UFO investigator is that you won't reveal it. And if they would, they choose to do it, then they can do it. But when somebody refuses to give a name and it gets out to the public, well, the person did not want to give their, their name at, uh, to be published... Doesn't that kind of put a bit of a, hmm, you know, what's being hid here aspect yeah, to well, the investigation? Yeah, well, that's part of the reason why when we got the video that we, we said, well, you know, we're, I mean, we're defocusing from the witnesses. And we were trying to pr prove through the data mm -hmm. that, number one, was that an actual Homeland Security aircraft? Yes. We looked at the transponder code. Mm -hmm. We were able to see the flight, uh, the flight direction and all that. Right. Secondly, was the radar data. When I mean, we found radar data. Okay, that helped to confirm that there was something there. The radar data also showed the flight of the aircraft, so it was in the right place at the right time. Okay. Okay. And when I look at the video and I'm looking at the actual data that's being displayed on it, it matches the time and everything else with it. All right. So I could care less whether uh, that there's a witness to this whole thing or not. I'm more interested in what does the video reveal and what does the data reveal. And so we went after the data. Why did okay. it take why did it take two years to compile the report? Well, it wasn't two years to compile a report, two years to also do a lot of other things. I mean, basically the the six of us were meeting, you know, on periodic basis and mm -hmm. trying to go through it and we had to figure out what kind of software and our approach we had to come up with the idea of of how are we going to tackle looking at individual frames? We had to take a look at, you know, uh, what kind of tool could we get? We ended up getting a, a National Institute of Health tool that's used uh, by them to be able to do it. Uh, then there's all the, uh, the mathematics of calculating it. And then there's also the uh, finding out, well, what's the name of the camera? What kind of an aircraft? I mean, mm -hmm. was this? And validating that and dealing with uh, 
you know, getting L3 to confirm that that is a West Cam camera. We initially thought it was a FLIR camera. It turned out it wasn't. Um, and so there's just that type of thing. And then eventually it's just putting together and finding the time to be able to do that. All of us have other jobs. And uh, this is certainly not the only thing we're focused on. So it just took two years to be able to do all that work and spend all that time and dedicated uh, dedicate ourselves to when we could on the study of that particular video. So what was the final conclusion, the final findings? Well, you know, when you, it, typically to the UFO investigation thing, I mean, and this is just the way it typically works, you always look for, is there an explainable thing mm -hmm. that, that you can find? And when you uh, exhaust all explainable things, then you're left with something that's called an unknown. And so then you go and you start to like, look at well, what plausible explanations can account for it. You've deduced the speed of it. You've deduced the direction changes that have happened. You found that the, the, the video and the radar, I mean, the, the actual infrared video shows no any kind of propulsion system to it. Um, and it's maneuvering counter to wind direction. It's maneuvering into the water. It's doing what it's doing. And well, how do you explain the, the, the unusual that you can see it moving underwater? And that's what we call a Bernoulli hump. Uh, that basically when an object maneuvers under the water, it can actually displace the top of the water. Mm -hmm. um, so we also had to uh, do a lot of like checking in and we found uh, FLIR uh, technicians that are other, not FLIR, but West Cam uh, technicians and getting in touch with them. We mm -hmm. tried to get a hold of L3. L3 was not cooperative with us. Um, anyway, that type of thing. And so it just spent a lot of time pulling it all together and we finally got it all published. And then it was a matter of trying to get it out and letting people uh, actually we were looking more towards the scientific end to be able to look at it. We sent it over to uh, the uh, the people in France for uh, that. It's called Sigma two. Uh, uh, there's a team over there in uh, God, a three. AF three. I can't remember. Uh, anyway. Bottom line was there, there's this organization's tied to NASA over there that we helped uh, have them look at it and see if we could get a review on it. They came back with thumbs up on it. Uh, and then we went and took it to other people like uh, Dick Haynes at NARCOP. Uh, and, uh, and also he was quite excited about it. So, I mean, we basically worked it from there. Did you, uh, did you try and get the people at NASA to take a look at it? Uh, no, haven't done anything with NASA. Uh, not sure. I mean, what I'm doing right now mm -hmm. in, in Huntsville is the University of Alabama Huntsville uh, is adjacent to Redstone Arsenal. And uh, basically, I've got a professor over there who's in applied optics, who is actually going and reviewing also the paper and also reviewing the, uh, the video footage and, and what we came up with. And if, I mean, he's more of an infrared, uh, you know, whiz guy than, than many of us were. And so we're looking now and learning more about infrared and yeah. what, you know, the implications of infrared. And this was a mid-wave range, three to five micron range uh, uh, camera and setting on it. Uh, we're learning more about emissivity, which is another factor that plays in on infrared uh, which could also account for some things that we saw in the video. But um, anyway, bottom line is we're looking forward to having uh, a scientific opinion take a look at that. And so I'm excited. I'm waiting for him to give me my, his analysis. Is it is it possible that what you actually saw on this video that was recorded by Homeland Security was an experimental craft? Uh, actually, we looked into that. Um, and, you know, the fact that the object was flying over uh, a, a commercial air, aircraft, I mean, an airport at the mm -hmm. time would uh, not be a smart move. The Also, the maneuverability and the splitting into two. Uh, we have found that there is a, I mean, drones, uh, if you would, uh, yeah. are on the increase. And there are some drones that can go directly in the water. Uh, but the only drone that's ever been put together by the military that we could identify was called the Flimmer. And the Flimmer was actually a drone that basically would fly in the air. Right. It would drop it would drop off its wings and then basically go into the water and become a torpedo. Yeah. It, but it, it, never come, it never comes out of the water. Yeah, but you're talking about military drones that 
are known about, but I'm sure there's a lot of things that the military and Homeland Security are doing that is not common no, knowledge. Yeah, well, that, and I, I understand that, but no, I mean, there's nothing, nothing like this would account for all of the aspects of this case. Nothing uh, that is and, known. Yeah, and so, I mean, the fact that you have no propulsion system shown, there's no uh, signature for that. Well, there's no the, signature, well, excuse me, there's no signature for a stealth either. Yeah, there is. I mean, we're able to we're able to pick up stealth. Um, we're able to pick up stealth helicopters, for example. You, I mean, you're talking about maybe like radar uh, or something like that. But so, we, so, actually... so you mean the military is spending all this money on stealth technology that a simple flare system can pick up? What I'm saying to you, no, this isn't the type of flare system that you'd use. Questions. Have, more questions we, than we answers. We have more advanced yeah. FLIR, FLIR type cameras and more capable than what was used on the bottom of the aircraft for this. All right, listen, I hate to do this, but we've run out of time for tonight. Rich, thanks so much for joining us. A lot of good questions here. Very few answers, though. Typical. I'll be back on the other side of this break as we continue here in the Exome from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. See, I want to believe, but yet, still no proof. Just because we don't know it exists doesn't mean that the military has systems that they're just not letting the public know. Don't go away. <laughs> 